The SCC held its 121st Annual Congress in Aviemore, where we heard from its General Secretary, Graham Smith, Scottish First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon, and Scottish Labour leader, Richard Leonard. Over the three days, we heard motions from a wide variety of areas, such as public services, trade union employment rights, economy and industry, and international affairs. My name is David Thompson, and during this podcast for the Common Space, I will be covering a couple of areas that has been debated during Congress. First, on the eve of the Congress, a joint report between the Scottish Government and the STEC about how new technology has affected the workplace across Scotland. According to the report, it is very difficult to tell whether major technological changes will have an impact on employment. A link to the article is on the Common Space website. We go into depth about the report with both Dave Moxman, Deputy General Secretary of the STC, and Richard Leonard as to any impact in the future. First we hear from Dave Moxham, who will tell us about what impact new technology will have on the workplace across Scotland. Our concern is that we are able in the period ahead to harness new technology and technological change in a way that supports fair work, supports uh, good jobs, um, ultimately reduction in hours we hope for workers. But you know there is a real threat that if employers are unscrupulous, if they use it um, not to um, support better employment practice but to drive down on existing standards, then both jobs and quality of jobs will be lost and that's what we want to work with the Scottish Government to mitigate. So in terms of what would the STC would like to see uh, creating the conditions then so that the technology can be used that not only benefit existing employees that I work but also create new jobs so and quality jobs as well across Scotland and yeah, so I mean, obviously, in, in a range of areas such as um, research, um, uh, technology, um, there is a real opportunity to create these good jobs. And most of these systems, these new systems, automated systems, at some level or other, need to be fabricated, regulated, and run. Um, so if these jobs are um, uh, are decent jobs, um, then that can be very helpful to us indeed. Our major concern is that. Um, Part of the unseen part of um, uh, technological change is the introduction of um, new algorithms that run management systems, that run um, performance management systems, absence management systems, things that are being used by organisations such as Uber, for instance, and other gig economy organisations. And our concern is that it will be used uh, negatively to to reduce quality of work. So we want to look at how um, we can use technology. To give you an example, um, uh, our colleagues from Nautilus say quite clearly that new technology uh, can avoid some really quite dangerous work at sea, which we really want to make safer. So we can see some real gains, but at the other end, um, some real threats, and we just want to make sure that that's um, uh, managed properly. So in terms of any future um, industrial strategy, would you like to see the impact of automation new technology be part of a new industrial strategy? could be rolled out by either by the UK government or by the Scottish government? Absolutely. So, um, And there would be a few different areas to that new industrial strategy or uh, an industrial strategy that had this 
added to. Uh, the first is that no technological change um, should be uh, not accompanied by fair work. The Scottish Government has its fair work um, agenda, uh, but the UK Government needs to both uh, strengthen employment legislation and close some loopholes um, so that that can happen. Secondly, we need increased levels of uh, research and development in Scotland um, and the UK as a whole, and that includes state investment as well as private investment, so that as these new technologies develop, we get our fair share um, of, the, um, of the benefits of that. So that new industrial strategy needs to look at investment, regulating fair work, and working with good companies to make sure that um, uh, the, the, the change is positive. You've just heard from the STC's Deputy General Secretary, Dave Moxham. We will be looking into the industrial strategy in more depth later in the podcast with both Dave Moxham and Richard Leonard. Before that, we'll get a reaction from Scottish Labour leader Richard Leonard about the joint report from the SDC and the Scottish Government on new technology in the workplace. Well, I think it's, I think it's very good that it's been recognised as um, a priority in the economy. I think that um, it's good that there is collaborative working between the Scottish Government and the SDUC. And, um, uh, b but I think that there needs to be um, a more fundamental uh, examination of what automation uh, can mean. Because if it's, um, if it's left in the wrong hands, uh, it will lead to a future economy uh, of uh, fewer people in work, um, fewer people in control of uh, the organisation of that work. Uh, and I think that what we need to see is uh, a review of um, the distribution of working time. So, uh, for example, automation will provide the opportunity for um, uh, digital processes, uh, new technology to substitute for labour time at the moment. And I think if that happens, that's not got to be uh, at the expense of people. People must stay in the process. So that, in my view, is about ensuring that technologies are introduced. And I think there's an example in the report of, uh, of, of ways in which drones, for example, can be useful um, in, uh, in, in merchant shipping. So there are, so there are examples of where, uh, where uh, new technology automation can be of assistance to workers. And I think that's an example of the way in which it could be a, a, an augmentation to people's work and not a replacement of people's work. So I, I'd, I'd like to see um, automation used to create a better work-life balance I would like to see it used to look at how we can uh, the distribution of uh, money generated in industry between working people and those who own the wealth that's created so that there's a better balance there as well. So I think there are, there are opportunities opened up by automation, but it's an old test that uh, has been around since the first industrial revolution, which is about in whose interest is this, uh, is this uh, implemented and who's got ownership and control over it. On Tuesday, it was announced that Bitfab has been taken over by a Canadian company called GFE Driver as part of the deal that was brokered by the Scottish Government. The Scottish Government will remain a minority shareholder with a 30% stake in the company. First we hear from Dave Oxham and then Richard Leonard about the news of the Bitfab deal. 
really positive outcome. Now we have to be careful. Um, we know that the yard um, has been saved. Uh, we know that it's long. It has a potential long-term future. Now it still needs to win those orders. Uh, there are still probably some short-term issues with the um, security of jobs and uh, avoiding redundancies um, as uh, new contracts come on stream. But overall, it's a really good news story from when workers stand up for themselves, the unions support them, and government is prepared to um, you know to pull up its sleeves. We understand that you know the Scottish government will have a significant stake in this new company. Uh, so that sort of intervention and, and combination of workers' power uh, and political will is, is a really, really positive news story for the whole of Scotland. That was Dave Boxholm discussing the deal that was struck between Bitfab and Canadian company GV Driver that took place on Tuesday. Now we get Richard Lair's reaction to the deal that was brokered by the Scottish Government. Yeah, well, obviously, um, the retention of these jobs in the two yards in Fife and the Western Isles is extremely welcome. Um, there, I think, uh, needs to be a long-term plan for those sites. They are important uh, national assets, and uh, we need to make sure that they are uh, in good hands, and uh, I hope that there will be a strong relationship between the new owners and the trade unions. Um, uh, which I think will form the, the bedrock of a successful enterprise. Um, I do have to also note that um, you know, I welcome the intervention by the um, Scottish Government in helping to secure that. I think that's uh, something that we would all applaud. Um, but I do also think it throws into sharp relief the need for there to be an overall industrial strategy rather than simply uh, relying on uh, defensive rescue after defensive rescue. Point. A new industrial strategy would have to be launched uh, because you kind of mentioned it in your speech that a new industrial strategy would need to be formed. We'd have to get count the old industries, the traditional industries mm. like manufacturing, mm. etc. Mm. Um, and what's happened with Bitfab and Two Sisters and the new technology. And do you think there should be a, a new industrial strategy that should be brought forward then by either or both the UK and Scottish governments? Yeah, well, I mean, the... Um the, the, the problem is that at the moment the UK government has a published industrial strategy uh, in the form of a green paper um, and the uh, Scottish uh, government doesn't appear to um, want to have an industrial strategy which is forward looking. Um, whenever I've challenged the SNP government on uh, whether or not they've got an industrial strategy, and my argument is that they should have one, they've cited examples like... Um, Ferguson Marine on the lower reaches of the Clyde. They've cited examples like Tata Steel takeover uh, of the steel plants in uh, Cambus Lang and Motherwell. Uh, they've cited the uh, aluminium uh, smelter being taken over in the Highlands. And I've no doubt now they will cite Bifab. But I think that there needs to be an understanding that whilst in each case uh, those rescues were welcomed, it's not enough to simply just react all the time. We need to have a proactive, forward-looking economic plan. that understand, and, and, and take Bifab as an example. There is huge amounts of public money going in to pay for projects like the Beatrice Project, which is the big offshore wind farm, which uh, the order is currently being met by Bifab in part for it. But the, we need to have a greater sense of what's coming down the line. Therefore, 
uh, when uh, uh, work can be uh, bid for, when uh, the skills levels uh, are, are going to be set, when we need to get people through apprenticeships. So there's just more of a sense of uh, we're planning it. Because at the moment, too much of that kind of work, and the Beatrice project is a classic example, too much of that work is going overseas. It's going uh, to Norway. It's going to Denmark. And so I think we need to, we need to be clearer that if we are seeing public investment going into public infrastructure in the UK, and that includes energy, renewable energy, and so on, that that should be done on the basis that the jobs dividend is retained here. You've just heard from Richard Leonard discussing any future industrial strategy. The points I've discussed with Leonard was debated at Congress as there are a couple of motions on a future industrial strategy. There were fears in the debating hall that there could be job losses through automation and new technology, but also there was no industrial strategy that looked at traditional areas of industries such as manufacturing and fishing. I will discuss some of the points that were made with Dave Boxham from the STEC. I mean, there needs to be a broad industrial strategy and there needs to be a specific manufacturing strategy within that. Now, what we want to promote at the end of the day is patient investment. Patient investment, which is much more characterised, much more prevalent in countries like Germany, who've managed to maintain a, high, a much higher level of uh, a manufacturing export. And the way they've done that is that um, they um, have recognised that um, private companies will want to invest, um, but they've stated that they will support forms of investment which are patient. It's not we're not talking about companies um, uh, shooting in and shooting out, shooting out and taking a quick buck here. We're talking about um, being able to promise companies or the state to do it in self, uh, itself. Um, significant and, and ongoing profit, but at a level and with a commitment that uh, ensure fairs, ensures fair work um, and ensures that jobs stay in the um, in the local um, in local vicinities. Specifically for the south of Scotland, and this, this, the Scottish government um, is bringing forward with our support the creation of a new enterprise agency for the south of Scotland. Uh, that needs to look very closely at the south of Scotland economy and the fact that um, areas such as food processing, fish. Uh, processing have become a larger part of the economy and work out how it can keep um, and capture that. That will involve um, the direction of resources towards companies that are prepared to commit um, to future manufacturing. It will um, look very closely at grants that have been given to companies who may not have um, uh, um, uh, undertaken to, to stick by their part of the bargain um, and it will you know involve looking really really closely at how some of the smaller businesses and the smaller operations of the south of Scotland can be supported in a meaningful way. Richard Leonard spoke to the STC Congress on Tuesday and one of the things that he discussed in his speech was to bring a new legislation that will allow employees to bid for the company that they work for if they're in financial difficulty, are going to go under. Leonard will tell us about the new bill in more detail. Yeah, it's a, the, the, a, a Scottish version of the Marcora Law uh, would be based upon a piece of legislation which was introduced in Italy in the 1990s, and a version of it has more recently been introduced in France. But what it does is it provides for a preferential right to bid 
uh, for workers in an enterprise if that um, enterprise is put up for sale or is facing takeover. So the parallel I draw is between the Land Reform Act, which has been in place in Scotland since uh, uh, 2001, which um, provides for communities uh, um, to be given a preferential right to buy if an estate or a piece of land comes up for sale. So my argument is, just as we have um, provision for community buyouts for land reform, especially in rural Scotland, uh, we ought to look at ways of providing for industrial reform and a transfer of ownership uh, to the people that create the wealth in an enterprise if it's put up for sale or indeed if it's facing closure. Yeah, it sounds sort of something similar to the, the Community Empowering Act sure. that was brought by the Scottish Government sure. to allow communities to buy out maybe like property that's not being used, utilised by local authorities or whatever. Yeah. Is it kind of similar to that sort of legislation? Or? It, it's very similar and actually, and actually before I entered Parliament uh, I was amongst a group of people that were pressing for the definition of community in the, in the Community Empowerment Act to include uh, a group of workers. And um, there was talk, I think, of groups of football supporters being uh, seen as a community of interest, and I'm, I can't remember where that went, but I certainly know that we failed to persuade the Scottish Government at the time that the Community Empowerment Act should encompass um, workers as a community of interest. So, so yeah, it, the, 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 the process is similar. Uh, we, we just think there should be a wider definition. I also think that um, the way it should work, and the way it works certainly in Italy, for example, is the state provides uh, some capital funding for it. And so, again, in the way that the Land Reform Act worked in the beginning, that there was a land fund, we think that there should be uh, uh, a loan facility, maybe through the new Scottish National Investment Bank, I don't know, but there should be a loan facility available to workers that would help them to buy out the old owner and, uh, and then repay back the loan to the state. So you also talked about your speech that you want to have be in line of the links between the trade unions and the Scottish Labour Party. Yeah. Would you like to detail as what you like to see happen there? Well, I think it's about trying to uh, re-establish um, uh, the old alliance that exists between the industrial wing and the political wing of the same Labour movement. Um, I mean, I've worked for the STUC in the past, and I know that there were times when the, the, you know, the, 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 the STUC and the Scottish Labour Party didn't always see eye to eye. But often it was about um, uh, rather small things rather than the big things that bound us together. And the best example during my time when I worked at the STUC was the Co Scottish Constitutional Convention and the project that there was to bring about the establishment of a Scottish Parliament as soon as uh, uh, there was a change of government in 1997. So I, I, uh, I think it's about trying to re-establish communication. It's about uh, reforging the alliance both at the level of the General Council of the STUC and the um, and, and senior uh, parts of the Scottish Labour Party, but it's also about how do we better establish stronger, deeper, meaningful links between the Labour Party locally and uh, workplaces locally, communities locally, shop stewards locally. So what would be one thing that will bring together the Labour Party, like sort of your leadership, sure. and the 
SGC? Well, I mean, I've been working with the unions recently for First Minister's Questions on um, the use of um, umbrella companies and agencies uh, in the uh, in public construction contracts. And so that's been about, I suppose, sp working closely with the unions in order to try to get justice for working people. Um, it's also about, um, I think, uh, looking at the ways in which on a more systematic level uh, that uh, relationship can be built on that whole area of industrial strategy. The industrial strategy, which was launched last year by Kezia, Jackie Bailey and myself, was really the product of uh, a synthesis of uh, input from um, uh, some economists, um, some uh, economic development practitioners, but also critically trade unions. And so, you know, I, I am under no illusion that uh, we need to see uh, not just um, the trade unions becoming central to the work of a Labour government, we also want to build, even in opposition, a much closer working relationship so that trade unions are central to us in opposition too. See that industrial strategy you were working on with Kenza and Jackie Bailey. Mm -hmm. What's the latest with that? If you have you done anything with that industrial strategy that you've helped compose together? Yeah. Well, we've. I mean, we've. We'd, we it, we're proposing uh, to consider this Marcora law. We are looking at, um, uh, and we've seen. We've. I don't think it's any coincidence that we've seen the Scottish Government uh, recently announced that there shall be a Scottish National Investment Bank because that was a central feature of Labour's industrial strategy launched last year. Um, I think that there is, um, you know, that th there are lots of ways in which we can put on pressure to try to turn around and people now are talking about um, the productivity gap and how we can tackle productivity. We think that first and foremost needs to come from investment. We're seeing um, we're seeing uh, considerable pressure now being built up around the award of public contracts, uh, which we said in the industrial strategy ought to come along with it, um, a, a relationship with um, those companies providing uh, or getting into those public contracts, a quid pro quo that they would provide apprentices, that they would be living wage employers, that they would recognise trade unions. and. Uh, and so I think I can see that there is a growing pressure emanating from that and emanating from the work of the trade unions for the Scottish Government to start to adopt some of that. But I, um, my overarching concern is that they don't really have the heart in it and they're quite timid, timid about it. And I think it's time for, with Brexit especially, it's absolutely time for a bolder uh, interventionist Scottish government approach to the development of the economy, and I, uh, you know, I think t uh, trade unions, in my estimation, should form a, a core part of that. That was Richard Leonard discussing what they've done with Scottish Labour's industrial strategy since it was set up last year. Another area that's cropped up at Congress was the situation in Catalonia. There was a motion that was passed on Wednesday calling for immediate release and acquittal of political prisoners that have been arrested after the independence referendum in October. For more information about the motion and the situation in Catalonia, please visit the Common Space website. First, we get Dave Oxford's view on the motion or the situation in Catalonia 
that, that was discussed at the STC Congress. The motion does um, state in very clear terms um, its um, uh, um, displeasure at the way that uh, the central um, Spanish government has dealt with the situation. Um, it has created what we would describe as prisoners of conscience. We are aware of an enormous uprising um, of workers against the way that that situation was, was dealt with. Uh, so the motion really captures um, a real concern about the way that the, ha the, the situation has been handled by the um, Spanish government uh, and, and pledges solidarity with, um, with uh, Catalan workers. Um, and I'm very comfortable with that, and I suspect that Congress will be very comfortable with that tomorrow. So in that case, do you think that the political prisoners that have been arrested by the Spanish government should be released in? Well, we tend to use the word, which is um, the word that's used by our sister unions, UGT Catalonia and CCO Catalonia, uh, prisoners of conscience, but that's really just a term. Um, but obviously, we don't want to see uh, people imprisoned for what are ultimately, end of the day, at the very worst civil offences and at the very best um, offences which um, uh, root from um, a difference of um, political position over the um, future of, uh, of Catalonia um, and Spain uh, rather than something that people should be behind bars for. On Tuesday, there was a French meeting to discuss the situation in Catalonia that was chaired by now STC President Lynn Henderson. There was representatives from trade unions for both Scotland and Catalonia there to discuss the situation. We managed to speak to a couple of speakers after the French meeting. First, we speak to Stuart Graham, a trade union official from Unison. He'll tell us what you'd like to see happen in Catalonia. David Carvalho, who was speaking at the meeting that uh, we've just we've just concluded, spoke about um, an event that happened last year um, in December. It was organised by With Catalonia. It was an international meeting that was called in response to the crackdown. Uh, following the referendum, the crackdown on civil and political rights. So I attended that as part of the Catalan Defence Committee. Uh, we had set that, we, that had been set up in mid-November. Um, and that was to go over to see what, because of the lack of political response or the lack of criticism that's coming from any Western government, you know, I mean, we would have been, you would have hoped that the First Minister would have actually said something political, or something, something official um, from her position. Um, but other than a, a kind of almost like a throwaway condemnation of the violence, there wasn't anything. Similarly with the UK Labour Party, you know, I mean, given that this movement is very much behind the kind of progressive politics of Jeremy Corbyn, the UK Labour Party have said very little on this as well. Yeah. So within the organised labour movement, whenever, and as Laura Pillay had said, whenever the pol political parties and politicians aren't doing their job, and aren't making the noises that their the constituents and the electorate want um, want to be heard, then it's down to us, you know, the largest democratic kind of bodies that are still kicking about. Then that that role then falls onto us because we can use that level of political influence, and we can, you know, I mean, as Dad said, we've got the first minister and this, the leader of Scottish Labour coming here every year to talk to us. So they must value our opinion. They must value the, the, the weight that we bring. So we need to use them, put them in uncomfortable positions at times. But this is what we can see the creep 
and we can see where this could potentially go and how it would impact on all our rights. So how do you feel when you hear when like, your colleagues down in Catalonia or your trade union colleagues are be arrested for being part of a independence referendum that what the Spanish state has said is illegal? So what would be your thoughts of that when you hear that? Uh, I mean, it, it now boils down to the criminalisation of dissent. Mm. What we have... so. The October referendum was classed as illegal, in inverted commas, because the Spanish state didn't authorise it. So the Catalans still participated in that, but it was null and void as, as regards how, how Madrid viewed it. They then Madrid called Decem the December elections and they returned a pro-independence majority. And as a result of returning a pro-independence majority and trying to implement that majority, everybody gets jailed. Everybody who tries to stand on that platform gets jailed. Now, if that happened in Scotland, that would be like Sturgeon getting jailed, Derek Mackay getting jailed, all for being elected on a pro-independence mandate because Westminster disagree with that. Now, that can't be acceptable. You know what I mean? That, you know, that, that one level of government is able to nullify the democratic will of, of the elected representatives, that is starting towards significant. I'm not saying Spain is not a fascist state, but the authoritarianism is becoming more and more prevalent within their actions. And given that we have a, a you know, a, a Tory government in Westminster that I believe would love to emulate that, then I think that we need to be very much on our guard and we need to make sure that whenever we hear about up to 300 trade unionists being arrested and threatened with terrorism or threatened with sedition and these for for basically for for, for articulating a position that comes under freedom of expression or for articulating a position that sits with freedom of association then these are fundamental freedoms that you and I and everybody here all enjoy but all of a sudden our Catalan brothers and sisters can't enjoy them because it flies in the face of the direction that Madrid want to take it. So for that very reason, that's, you know, that's whenever I hear that somebody, I mean, I'm sure that, that Stuart Graham in Catalonia, for, for doing something that I've just done today and participating in a meeting and articulating a position that doesn't agree with the government, I could risk, what, 25 years in jail because of because of that that decision to, to speak out. I know, and we're living in a, we're supposed to be living in a democracy. Democracy is about dissenting voices, critiquing, and making sure that people speak out, because there isn't ever going to be a position that absolutely everyone sits behind. But as long as we know that we can genuinely argue about something, poke holes in the argument where we can, identify areas that haven't been spoken of, then how is that going to cause any level of disruption to, the, to a genuine course of action, to you know, anything that sits as a fundamental right? That was Stuart Graham, the UDC trade union official. Stuart helped to organise the French meeting that discussed the situation in Catalonia at this year's STC Congress. Stuart also proposed a motion that was debated at Congress on Wednesday that was passed. We have speak to David Carvalho from Oriol Control, a pro-Catalonia organisation, 
are your guest thoughts on the fringe meeting? Um, the fringe meeting today was an initiative that, that came through Omnium Cultural, which is a cultural organization. Mm -hmm. um, but because of the current situation, attacks on democracy, Omnium is very clear that you have to build links with all sorts of different movements, social movements, and so in Catalonia working a lot with the trade unions and neighbours organisations, and so it made sense to say, given that the STUC had the conference, given they had a resolution on the table about the Catalan question, to have a fringe meeting, and it's been really useful with uh, people from the, the media, from um, teaching, from, from different sectors, uh, asking questions and, and putting their points of view, it's been very useful. Asked David what he thought about the STC discussing the situation that is currently taking place in Catalonia. But all I'd say is that um, every piece of news that arrives in Catalonia of solidarity uh, is welcomed, and if the STUC votes this resolution uh, and expresses solidarity with democratic rights in Catalonia, I think that will be very significant news and a very important step forward and hopefully open the way to all sorts of different specific um, actions of solidarity and, and contact. In terms of more widely, in terms of uh, solidarity from Scotland uh, towards what's happened in Catalonia over the last few months. Um, have you had much solidarity in terms of what's in terms of participating democracy that's happened in Catalonia? Well I think one of the best things um, in terms of Scotland with solidarity is, is the Catalan Defence Committee Scotland, which has formed uh, last year and uh, they've got a local group in Glasgow that's been very active. And they've also, also, also had actions in, in Edinburgh. And so I hope that sort of initiative will, will, will proceed because it involves Catalan activists and also trade unionists and social activists and political activists sort of from of, of Scottish people. And bringing those together and expressing that solidarity and inf informing people in Scotland about the situation and also keeping contact with Catalonia. So I think it's people who can travel to Catalonia and send messages to Catalonia, that's great. But also it's really important to do the work on the ground and, and the, the actions there been in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, uh, in whatever other places possible. In You've come to the end of the podcast that was recorded during the 121st STC Congress. This is David Thompson from the Common Space. <laughs>